Peterson is taking care of things right now. The Wesley Fields. Touchdown. Georgia Southern. Fast swing. On the way. It's gone! It is well with my stolen Montgomery! Georgia Southern wins! Georgia Southern fans, welcome to another episode of Georgia Southern Extra. I'm Travis Shadon, the beat writer for Georgia Southern Athletics at the Savannah Morning News and SavannahNow.com. And we're joined today to discuss that awful loss at Troy with uh, by Mike Anthony of the Statesboro Herald. We'll discuss Troy in depth, um, maybe touch on a little bit of basketball, um, but really talk about what happened at Troy, what happened was what Chad Lunsford and the Eagles said wouldn't happen. That's exactly what happened. Um, so we'll talk about that with Mike, and then at the back end, we'll get you guys a preview of the upcoming game with ULM with the Monroe News Star Warhawks beat writer, uh, Adam Huntsucker. So definitely stay tuned for that. He'll scout the Warhawks for us, and then we will, Mike and I will also touch on the ULM game coming up right now. Mike, how are you? Uh, still reeling from that performance, and I put performance um, in air quotes by Georgia Southern there. I don't even know that they showed up in Troy. Yeah, I'm doing all right, but I got to tell you, the uh, six-hour drives back home after a win are a lot easier. They go by a lot faster than the six-hour drives after a loss. Well, that's okay, Mike. This week, though, what are you going to try to do? You're just going to try to go 1-0 and this week, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. Actually, I'm excited for this week. I've been down here uh, as a student and or covering the Eagles uh, for 17 years now. This week is going to be the first week that my dad has ever made a game. So if nothing else, we got that going for us. Wow, I didn't know that. The original, uh, the original Anthony. That's impressive. He finds it far too hot down here most of the time. Sounds like a uh, smart man. Mike, what in the hell happened at Troy? Georgia Southern said that they would be ready, that they weren't overlooking Troy. They said they learned from last year. Um, after beating App State last season, Lunsford... Um, said himself that they got, quote, smacked in the face by ULM. Um, and I think last season it was, you know, I don't want to say okay or acceptable to lose after App State, but it was somewhat explainable, right? Every every situation that Georgia Southern found itself in last season was sort of unexpected. So I, I think this season uh, I'm just stunned by how awful Georgia Southern played um, against Troy, given everything that we heard all week, they knew, they knew that last season was a letdown right after App. Um, they knew what was on the line; it was right in front of them. Um, they really shouldn't have been in the game in the fourth quarter. It was only a six-point game, really early in that fourth quarter. They still had a shot at winning it. So several times it was right in front of them, and it was just snatched away over and over again by. You know, dumb bounding plays, third and 18 draw plays, or third and goal draw plays from the 18, uh, scoring on Georgia Southern. That's that was brutal. Um, there's a lot of things to take away from this, Mike. So we'll kind of just bounce around and not really be chronological with this. Um, we're gonna try out this system instead of going, you know, through specifics. We'll just bounce around generally. I'll let you start, Mike. First thing that you would tell someone. After that game, if you had to kind of describe your takeaways, um, what's the first thing that you would lead with? Uh, I mean, I would say, you know, uh, if you're a Georgia Southern fan, my advice or my 
my statement to them would be that I, I know that, you know, they want to support the team and the, the team wants to be supported. And sometimes it can get a little dicey when, you know, we, we cover it in press conferences all the time. Social media is what it is. People are going to talk. They can be really positive after the wins. They can be really negative after the losses and everybody tries to eventually come back together for the, for the next, uh, uh, game to try to be all together working as one. The fans want to win. The team want to win, wants to win. But I don't think that there's any shame in any Georgia Southern fan feeling really down about this one because of everything you said. You know, they, they went through this last year where they had a chance to be really up and all of a sudden be the, the darlings, no longer dark horses, but bordering on maybe not favorite, but a, a serious contender for the conference. And then in the span of 10 days, it all goes away. And, uh, you know, what I'll say to the similarities is, yeah, you can read the tea leaves and it can look eerily similar. You get a win over a ranked app team. You take 10 days. Then you go on the road. And then you play a passing team that just passes all over you and you can't do much of anything right. You lose by three scores. And, yeah, all of that looks really bad, especially in hindsight. But what I will say is that I do tend to believe what – uh uh, Chad Lunsford said during the Monday press conference, which is that I don't think that he thinks that Saturday's performance was due to players getting out ahead of themselves, thinking that it was a game that they should be able to go out there and just play their game and win. He kind of conceded that it got to him last year and that that was a factor. But I believe him when he says that that wasn't a factor uh, this time around, but that leads you to a far more troubling point. It's just that they got out schemed and outplayed for four straight quarters. Right. So, okay, that's right. Let's let's hone in on that right there. If Georgia Southern wasn't overlooking Troy, and I don't think they were either. I'm with you. You know, just based off of what Lunsford said, they weren't lo- overlooking Troy. Uh, Lunsford also said they weren't surprised by Troy's up tempo offense. I mean, I, I don't think any of us thought that they would be surprised. Troy didn't do anything altogether you know that special then yeah I don't know that that's those two things saying that Georgia Southern was ready Georgia Southern was not surprised Georgia Southern got their ass kicked uh so why I I guess I just don't understand what it could have been um and we'll touch on this a little further I'll let you go ahead and comment on it Mike but you know it's dumbfounding I don't think they overlooked them and that makes it all the more worse, I think. Yeah, I'll say that I, I believe uh, Lunsford as well when he says that they weren't surprised or weren't confused by anything that was thrown at them. What I will say is I think Troy did its homework and saw specifically the, the games where Georgia Southern's defense really struggled over the last two years, and it was basically doing exactly what they did. And granted, they're already a team that's set up to be spread out with three and four receivers to get the ball out quick, to get to the line quick. But it appeared to me, and again, you know, we don't watch as much tape as the coaches do, but it appeared to me that Troy was moving faster than they had moved all year. And that's because if you've watched Georgia Southern, the games that they've really, really struggled in the last couple of years are ones where the tempo got really ticked up. And, you know, it was very evident in the first game of the year against LSU. And I think a lot of people were willing to write that off, especially seeing what LSU's done since. They've made a lot of people look just as bad as they did Georgia Southern. But I think Troy saw something in that and how fast they were going. And what I saw, especially in the first half, was a Georgia Southern defense that either got a stop on first down and then was in a spot where it could huddle up 
you know, figure out what was going on, work through the next couple of downs, maybe get the ball back. On the other side of the coin, if and when Troy got good pickups, six, seven-yard pickups on first down, they weren't even concerned with downfield blocking and yards after the catch. Everybody was immediately running to where they thought the line of scrimmage was going to be. They were set up within five uh, five seconds. There were no substitutes coming onto the field, which means the refs aren't obligated to give Georgia Southern any time to sub out. And that leads to a Georgia Southern defense, which already doesn't blitz a lot and which plays a lot of zone instead of man-to-man, kind of getting, you know, just keyholed into playing the exact same defense over and over again. And Troy, if they know what's coming, they're good enough when they are just being the regular offense that they are. When they knew what was coming, it just looked like it was easy pickings for them. Yeah, easy pickings is one way to put it, Mike. Uh, Georgia Southern just gave up historic offensive numbers, really. The kind of offensive numbers that we saw, you know, almost saw at LSU. Uh, what Troy did to Georgia Southern was uh, more significant uh, in the stat sheets than what LSU did. That's a fact. Um, obviously, I'm not saying Troy's what LSU is, but 27 first downs, that's incredible. Uh, 603 total yards for Troy um, to Georgia Southern's 333. Georgia Southern passes for 181. Rushes for 152. Uh, Troy passes for 330. Rushes for 273. So, in essence, what uh, what Troy did was whatever the hell it wanted to do. Um, I'm convinced if Troy wanted to come out and run the ball, um, and if they did it with the same tempo, they would have had almost the same amount of success as, as what they did uh, passing the ball. I thought passing the ball obviously was their primary um, attack, but... Hell, Mike, they rushed, Troy rushed for 8.1 yards, or had uh, 8.1 yards per play. They rushed for 8.5 yards a carry. Uh, the Tro- yeah, the Tro- I think, Go ahead. I think that plays into what I was saying, that you know when they were in that up-tempo, Georgia Southern, over the last couple of years, you could see it at LSU earlier this season. You saw it, ironically enough, at Troy, or against Troy last year at home and at ULM, like they'll have to face again uh, coming up this week. You saw it at ULM last week, when they get in that, you know, not just up-tempo, but hyper-tempo, Georgia Southern, for whatever reason, is not very good at getting things switched up. They aren't great at getting lined up. They aren't great at getting into new plays. And so it's it's like you're playing, you know, Madden against someone who only knows how to run one defense, and sooner or later you're going to figure it out. So whether it's a run or a pass, you just know that you're going to be able to go in the right direction and find those yards. Yeah, that's me and Madden, basically just cover two and sitting back. Yeah, I hate to equate, you know, actual people out there. I know it's not the same, but to to the observer up in the stands, especially one that gets frustrated over four quarters, that kind of is what it looks like when, you know, there's there's no blitzes, there's a zone on every every other play, and the team just keeps on hitting the same plays. Yeah, and to me, Mike, and I said this, I tweeted this at halftime, um, I, I – did not tweet at all during the first half because I didn't tweet during the App State game, and obviously we saw what Georgia Southern did, so I wasn't about to uh, to have anyone, including myself, think that me tweeting during the game would impact their performance. Certainly, the first half uh, proved to me that that wasn't the case. Uh, but I tweeted this, Mike. I said it felt like kind of like seventy five percent of that ULM game from last season and about 25% of Minnesota 
from this season. Uh, and, and the reason I said that was because Georgia Southern, were, they were making plays here and there, just like they did against Minnesota. Um, but in the ULM game last year, we just saw so many options and successful options for ULM's offense. And Troy, likewise, did whatever it wanted. But I, let's, let's stay right here, Mike, and talk about Troy offense versus Georgia Southern defense. Um, and obviously that gives us plenty to talk about. I, I need to first just say that Kendall Vildor was a coach's decision not to play in this game, uh, probably the right decision. Uh, if he's not practicing all week and you don't know till Saturday that he even thinks he's ready to go, then you hold him out. You have to. Uh, Vildor, from what Lunsford told me, um, Monday Vildor was doing his best campaigning to play. Uh, he wanted to play. He was suited up to play. Um, at Troy, but uh, earlier in the week, I, I kind of had s- some people get a little upset. I, I was joking uh, when I quote tweeted Vildor's announcement uh, of being selected to the uh, Senior Bowl at the end of the year, which is awesome. Uh, him and Donald Rutledge both, well, getting nods for postseason rosters uh, for those kind of games. That's that's good for the program and good for those guys. But I had tweeted that. Lunsford was going to classify Vildor as day-to-day for that bowl game. Uh, I thought it was clearly a joke, but I don't think it went over um, as jokingly as I thought it would. Now I know why, because uh, Vildor wasn't going to play on Saturday against Troy, and I think um, from what we know now, it was pretty evident on Monday or on Wednesday um, that Vildor wasn't going to play. And I think everyone inside the program knew that already. So that kind of uh, did some explaining for me. Vildor doesn't play, and what a game for him not to play in because Georgia Southern's secondary was torched. Mike, I, 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 let's start with this. Do you blame it more? And let's be honest, you give up 49 points and over 600 yards, there is blame somewhere. Um, now, there's no right answer for where, I guess, but there is blame. And for me... Mike, I'm going to put most of the blame on the players. Uh, I, this was a probably, you know, next to ULM last season, this was the worst tackling I'd, I've ever seen a Georgia Southern defense play with. Uh, the one bright spot was that they had 69 tackles, so that's nice. Georgia Southern did. Um, they, had zero, they had zero sacks, and it wasn't for a lack of trying, Mike. For those complaining about Scott Sloan, and there are a lot of you, uh, how dare you complain about play calling when uh, on third and goal from the 18, uh, one of your best tacklers, Reynard Ellis, misses Billingsley in the hole and Billingsley walks in? How dare you complain about play calling when on the first touchdown of the game, Troy marches right down the field and has a wide open receiver in the red zone? How do you let a receiver get that wide open in the red zone? The field is shrunk. Uh, you know what they're, I mean, it's the first drive of the game. They're all relatively scripted. You've had a week, more than a week, to prepare, and still somehow uh, he's left wide open. Now, we never know who kind of is responsible for these blown coverages, but typically when a player taps his head or his face mask after the play and, and kind of saying hey that's on me uh that's a good indication of that and uh I think we saw that on Saturday you know you can pick who you want but somebody blew a coverage uh 
so that's not on the play calling. The missed tackles, um, that's not on the play calling. So for me, Mike, I, I, I'm saying that Georgia Southern, as players, did not show up to the game. Now, if you want to blame that portion on the coaching that they didn't show up to play, I'm good with that, I guess. But make no mistake about it, the players on the field for Georgia Southern played awful. And I'm not going to blame that on the coaches. Yeah, and, you know, uh, to, to his credit, during the Monday press conference, uh, Lunsford, he goes up there and he does what any coach has to do. He, he says uh, that he, he put it on him. He did mention that the vibe didn't feel right, but, you know, a vibe is a, a pretty abstract thing. What counts is what you do on the field. And, you know, he's not one of the guys that gets to be on the field. Neither is Scott Sloan, neither is Bob the Best, neither are any of those coaches. So, yeah, I guess, you know, to a degree, you, you absolutely have to put it on the guys who won, you know, 10 days ago were shutting down one of the best offenses in the country on the road at app, and then 10 days later can't do much of anything right. Um, what I will say, you know, uh, again, tackles need to be made. Coverages have to be there. But I think that it, if you're looking for blame to dish around on the defense's effort, and I think there's plenty of it when you give up that many points and that many yards, I, I think you cut it a little bit both ways. Obviously, there are plays that could have been made that weren't. But when you trot out those stats that you had uh, put out there before, that many first downs, that many yards, there weren't too many huge plays for Troy. That kind of tells me that they knew what to expect. They knew what they had to get. They knew – you know, where those six were all the time and how to get to them. So whatever Georgia Southern was calling, sure, some of them might have come via a, a missed tackle or a blown coverage, but a lot of times that didn't lead to a, you know, 50-yard play. It led to someone getting right over the six. And to me, that says that the offense knew exactly what it wanted to do and what it was seeing was exactly what it expected to see the entire day. Yeah, and there's going to be, we'll talk about ULM coming up. There's more to come. Uh, if you thought Troy uh, was lightning quick in their pace, they were. But don't kid yourself into thinking that that is going to be abnormal. The book is out on Georgia Southern's defense. Uh, if you want to know how to beat Georgia Southern and you're an offense, it's pretty obvious right now how to beat Georgia Southern, right, Mike? Yeah, get yards on first down and then don't let your foot off the gas pedal. Keep going. Yeah, I mean, just really, if you take the fight to Georgia Southern, and that is clearly what Troy did, uh, I'm not sure that Georgia Southern, uh, they claim to be built for a tough time and built for this. I don't think they are. Uh, I haven't seen anything that would say that they are built uh, to withstand an early onslaught from an opponent. Uh, and I know, you know, if you're giving up, if you start every game down 14 and nothing, you're likely to lose those games. Duh. But you should be able to overcome deficits every now and then. Georgia Southern hasn't won a game under Chad Lunsford where it trailed at halftime. Think about that for a second. Um, they've also won a bunch of games that they lead at halftime. Uh, so we hear all this stuff about getting off to a great start. Uh, you've played nine games, Mike. So nine first possessions. Do you want to guess how many touchdowns Georgia Southern has in those possessions? I'm going to guess zero and maybe one. Uh, yeah, the answer is zero. So nine possessions, zero touchdowns. All right. Two field goals for Georgia Southern. Seven punts. Seven punts. Uh, 
it's incredible to me that Georgia Southern finds a way um, to hang around in a lot of games that they win in the first quarter without really going ahead early. Uh, And, you know, for all the talk about Georgia Southern finishing uh, in the fourth quarter as well, they've given up almost 90 fourth quarter points this year. Uh, They're being outscored by almost 50 points in the fourth quarter. Uh, So that's not good either. And uh, the stats are a lot of the stats around this team were skewed, especially early because of LSU. Fourth quarter stats aren't one of those things because LSU's third and fourth team was in in that game. Um, I'll just leave it open-ended for you. The Georgia Southern offense on Saturday, go. Yeah, I'll, I'll put it this way. You're absolutely right in explaining one play. I will say that a lot of the frustration that you probably saw from that one play that you described is because that is far from the only third and one, third and two play or any short yardage play where Georgia Southern just absolutely, whether it's through a bad read or inefficient blocking, just couldn't get the job done in a situation where 100% of Georgia Southern fans and probably coaches and players alike expect to get that job done 100% of the time. And it's grading even in good games. It's something that is going to get a lot of negative attention in the bad games. So, yeah, to the point of that specific play, yeah, it, it, it probably was a bad read. They probably could have made a lot out of it if they'd have gone the other way. And as you said, the blame when you lose by that much, there's plenty of blame to spread around. So obviously you can uh, extrapolate it out to where it compounds into a bad punt, a bad tackle, and uh, more points to go against you, maybe even a 10-point swing if Georgia Southern could have made something out of that drive. So, yeah, I think that it's frustrating. Georgia Southern, you look at the numbers. They aren't putting up the numbers that they expected to on offense. They don't have the big plays that they expected to. The passing game that they wanted to expound on this year isn't there, even though Wirtz had three touchdown passes. A lot of that was due to the fact that they had to throw. So it's a lot of frustration, and the frustration is always going to show up louder and uh, more devastating when you lose a game, especially in the fashion they lost it. Yeah, and third downs for Georgia Southern, uh, you know, it wasn't terrible percentage-wise. They were 6 of 15 for 40%. Um, it's a huge improvement. Right, and, and kind of, didn't we say, just get to, get to right around an average, maybe even just a little below average, and you'll be fine. And I think they are. So, I mean, 40%, I'm good with that for the rest of time for Georgia Southern on third downs because you're thinking most of the time with an option team, on some of those fourth downs, at least, you're going to be way, way better on that fourth down conversion percentage because the third down percentage uh, is a little less, if that makes sense. You know, if you're third and six and you know you're going forward on fourth, you're a little less likely to pick up that first down than if you are guaranteed to punt it on that following down. You're going to try to convert it um, instead of trying to make it a fourth and manageable. But there were several times, I mean, uh, here are some third down results for Georgia Southern just um, just here and there, okay? Rush for minus one, punt. Uh, rush for three, punt. Pass and complete, punt. Uh, rush for no yards, punt. Rush for one yard, punt. Rush for negative one yard, punt. And rush of three yards, punt. So, you know, it... 
if Georgia Southern wants to be successful, when, when a running play is called in a crucial situation, you got to be able to pick up yards. I mean, you got to be able to pick up third and one, no matter what the best calls. Uh, if, you know what I mean? You just have to be able to pick that up. And right after the play, I, I, I just don't get the thought process of how someone's mind would go straight to the play call instead of the execution. Uh, Georgia Southern's offensive line was brutal on Saturday. Uh, and they rotated in, you know, in the second half, almost every play. It was, it was a different kind of uh, um, grouping. And I don't know if that's for the players, the offensive linemen uh, not playing well, so they get yanked. But there's a difference between rotating Caleb Kelly and Drew Wilson at right tackle every series. I know they've been doing that all year long and they've been rotating every other series with a couple of guys at a couple of spots, but this was different. This was looking, searching desperately for someone that could maybe block a Troy defender. Uh, That never happened. Troy got nine sacks. Uh, That's the most in their program's history. They just accomplished a program record for sacks against an option offense. Um, That's that's unacceptable. Uh, Georgia Southern had been sacked nine times all season. And then you get sacked nine times in the game. Um, Mike, is it Shy Wirtz's responsibility to begin throwing some of these balls away? Or are you okay with nine sacks because Wirtz is so athletic that he's going to escape some of those plays? I think some, sometimes on Saturday I thought, you know, throw the ball away and don't be athletic here. Don't try to be athletic and make a play uh, and cost yourself basically an entire series. Uh, nine sacks is due to the offensive line uh, for the most part, but there has to be some burden on Wirtz here, right, to throw the ball away more often. Well, I think Detroit did a good job of realizing when they had uh, pigeonholed Georgia Southern into passing plays and instead of sitting back like a lot of teams do and throwing more pass defenders at Wirtz, who isn't the greatest thrower, I feel like that's what a lot of teams try to do, thinking that he's going to make a, a bad throw or try to force something. He's proven that he won't do that. And when you drop more people, that makes it a lot easier for him to scramble and use that athleticism that you talked about. Troy went the other way. They were bringing people right away. And like you said, the offensive line, they need a lot of blame for that. Sure, sometimes they bring too many to block, but this wasn't one guy getting through. This was consistently Wirtz getting the ball and having two guys in his face immediately. Now, I would say that, you know, maybe a, a bit better passer would know that that means there has to be a guy or two uncovered. And there were some times where Wirtz immediately elected to try to run instead of uh, throw a ball or try to figure out who was going unblocked because there were so many Troy guys rushing. But, yeah, it's, uh, I would have to put a lot of it on the offensive line. They let too many guys through. I would also say that Troy got a little bit liberal with their scoring and what was a sack and what wasn't when, uh, when Wirtz is obviously trying to go downfield and you get him for a one-yard loss, that's not a sack. So nine is a little bit of a uh, uh, self-congratulatory number. But, yeah, that doesn't erase the fact that two-thirds of the Eagles' pass plays ended up in incompletions or were running for his life. 
Right, and if you know Troy's gonna self not self congratulate. Clear and on the record, that was not nine sacks. Uh, I yeah, I mean, I get what you're saying, Mike. I get what you're saying. Just because a guy, and actually, this happens all the time, you know. Just like, to throw a punch, just to throw a punch. That was not nine sacks. Yeah, no, it wasn't. And, and to be clear for the listeners, if you're tackled behind the line, uh, more often than not, it is a sack if you're the quarterback. But it's it's not a cut and dry thing. You know what I mean? If it's clearly a quarterback, times where it was a quarterback draw and he got tackled for a loss and they call it a sack is what. I- yeah, yeah. I th- I mean, there were unquestionably two for sure, and and you could make a case for two other ones that I remember. So that's four. Um, and and also, you know, just in the in the interest of fairness, um, three of the sacks on quote unquote sacks on Wirtz came on third down. Uh, I don't want Wirtz throwing the ball away on third down so you know i i do get that uh but you know when when you're when you're talking about the georgia southern offense a lot of the complaints in the past and i think a lot of the complaints in this one have been for the lack of variation uh there wasn't a lack of variation on saturday uh best called for screens um he called outside runs, left runs, right runs, up the middle runs. Uh, they let Kennedy touch it. Uh, they let King touch it. Um, J.D. King had another one of those games where he just, it just seems like the first time he was touched, every time he was just tackled. It's just very few broken tackles. Um, and I know that uh, what you're asking of King is different than what you're asking of other running backs. There's a role there. I get that. But... Uh, you know, in a game that was gigantic for Georgia Southern, they needed more um, than Wes Kennedy and a little bit of Wirtz. Uh, this is twice now after Georgia Southern beats App State that Wirtz probably has his worst, uh, definitely his worst running performance of the year. I think uh, passing. Um, Look, Bob the best. this offense was content to pass the ball. They were willing to try something else because running it wasn't working. The problem is the passing wasn't working either, and it led to nine sacks. Uh, the running wasn't working. You had 10 tackles for a loss uh, by Troy. Um, there, you know, nothing was going right, and when that happens to me, I just feel like that's more player than play. Yeah, if that makes sense, Mike. Um, for you, for the offense on Saturday, Mike, uh, what for you was the biggest flaw? And was there one thing that you can say if Georgia Southern would have just done this, they would have had more success offensively? Well, I think it's easy to say that the biggest flaw was the offensive line. And, you know, they deserve all the credit in the world for what they did against App State. You know, those guys, we've uh, talked about the injuries along the line all season long. Right. And so what they were able to do up in Boone was nothing short of amazing. They they took a great defense. And, uh, you know, by any coach's account, Georgia Southern or App State, they dominated. They were able to create holes. They won the line of scrimmage the entire night. And everything went well for Georgia Southern. Now, the exact opposite happened this time around against Troy. They weren't able to do much of anything. And to, to bring up what you were saying about King going down as soon as he was hit. To me, it looked a lot like what you saw from Shy Wirtz the last couple of years where they weren't running the ball especially well and people were, you know, questioning 
his toughness. I think we've all seen what he's able to do and what he can do in space, how dynamic he can be, how, how tough of a runner he can be. The difference is when on those option plays, especially the inside zones, the, the, the inside gives on option plays, if that offensive line can't get you to the second level, it's a whole lot different story when one of those 290-pound defensive linemen gets his hand on you than it is when you're able to get two yards and then deal with a 230-pound linebacker. I think that's when you see J.D. King and everybody else break those tackles. If if you get just an arm on them and you're only that big, they can run through it. When they're already stutter-stepping because there's not much of a hole there, and then you run into a, a mountain of a defensive lineman who probably is carrying an offensive lineman with them, that's a, you've got less momentum going forward. There's a whole lot more weight hitting you. I think that's why you see those, uh, those runs where people go down right away. And that's what we saw again on Troy is, is no matter who is carrying the ball, the first point of contact was right near the line of scrimmage when you don't have a, a full head of steam going forward. And it's coming from guys who are weighing a lot more than the, the safeties and the linebackers who are used to being the ones making the tackles and that the ball carriers are used to having to evade and break through tackles. Yeah. And I'm with you, Mike, Mike, how, how do we read your stuff? Yeah, you can read my stuff in the Sagebrook Herald, uh, also on sagebrookherald.com. Uh, we've got videos that'll go up throughout the week. And then on game days, you can catch me on Twitter at, at Herald GS sports. Yeah. And that at Herald GS sports, uh, the content there rapidly growing, Mike. I like it. I, I knew five years ago when you told me you didn't have a Twitter, I knew it was a matter of time, and I knew once you got started that you'd be hooked. I, no, I mean, I'm still not big on Twitter. I just, I think I'm good at Twitter. It's just, you know, me and my personality. I'm, Twitter's not for me. Yeah, because they limit your characters. That's why I love it. Yeah. Anyways, um, you guys, check out what we got going on at savannahnow.com. Uh, lots of stuff on Georgia Southern, lots of, um, you know, athletics going on outside of football. We do keep it football centric. Um, check that out. The newsletter every Tuesday night for your Wednesday morning email inbox uh, can be signed up for at savannahnow.com. You can follow me on Twitter at Jadon Sports SMN um, and email tjadon at savannahnow.com. Uh, do me a favor, subscribe to this podcast wherever you do it. Only rated if it's five stars. Only rated if it's five stars. And uh, we'll see you guys at Paulson on Saturday for the 3 p.m. kick with ULM. And to get you ready for that, here's my interview with Adam Hunsucker of the Monroe newspaper. The uh, Adam does a great job covering ULM and, and will really get you prepared um, for what's coming up Saturday at Paulson. Uh, thank you guys for listening, and we'll talk to you next week. All right, Georgia Southern fans, we have a new offer for you guys at savannahnow.com. We want you guys to check it out. It's a newsletter focused on Georgia Southern athletics and Georgia Southern athletics only. This is a free opportunity for you guys to get caught up on all the latest news on the Eagles, whether it be on the football field, basketball court, baseball field, or what have you. But go join the mailing list for the newsletter. And this is how you do it. Go to savannahnow.com and look on the right side of the homepage. Click get our newsletters and go from there. The newsletter will have a blog post once a week, as well as other relevant Georgia Southern stories, opportunities to subscribe to the podcast, and other insider notes that you can't find anywhere else. Subscribe today. All right. We're joined now by Adam Hunsucker. 
Adam covers ULM uh, for the Monroe News Star, and he's going to come on to help us uh, preview this Georgia Southern ULM game, um, catch us up on ULM season to date, um, and kind of give us a scouting report of the Warhawks uh, heading into this um, really critical Sunbelt Conference game. Adam, thank you for joining us. Not a problem. Good to be here. You know, I'm looking forward to this one. This is actually uh, probably one of my favorite um, out-of-conference, not out-of-conference, but um, out-of-division games that ULM plays because people may not realize kind of the history uh, with these two programs kind of going back to the going back to FCS in the 80s. Yeah, a lot of history, um, you know, going back a long way. Uh, recent history um, has mattered a great deal. Uh, the, in other words, this series, the winner of this series and the loser of this series has been impacted a great deal. So not your typical, um, you know, out-of-division game. There's usually a lot on the line. Uh, this year, no different. Um, both teams trying to go ahead and secure a bowl bid. Um, uh, and ULM and Georgia Southern both have uh, still have shots, I guess, at uh, appearing in the Sunbelt Conference title game. Adam, if you could um, kind of catch us up on ULM's season to date, what's gone well for them, what's gone wrong, um, and kind of uh, what your takeaways thus far have been from their 2019 season. Well, it's been kind of another one of those up and down deals, a lot a lot like last year. If you remember last year, a lot was expected from this bunch. They were uh, picked to finish second in the Sun Belt West and get to a bowl game and actually were leading the, the West going into the final two uh, games of the regular season but lost to Arkansas State and Louisiana Lafayette. That got kept them at 6-6 six and six and actually out of a bowl. So, you know, they felt like going in this year they would have a chance to get bowl eligible again and maybe right some of those wrongs from last year and win that seventh game. And, you know, it, but again, it's been one of those deals where they're just right there. Uh, ULM's right there and can't seem to kind of get over that hump. You look at some of the losses. I mean, you go to Florida State and go toe-to-toe with him. You lose by one in overtime because you missed an extra point. And then you have Memphis, a you know, contender for that for that uh, New Year's Six spot in the G5. They come to Malone Stadium, and you, um, you know, you're within a touchdown of those guys and go into the in the fourth quarter, and then – you lose to um, you lose to Arkansas State by a touchdown. So you look at some of these games and they're just right there, but they but they haven't really been able to you know close the deal. Now last week they did beat Georgia State, which you know was probably one of the scores that turned a lot of heads within the conference because of what Georgia State's done this year, beating Tennessee, beating Army. They're already bowl eligible, and you know that was a game ULM really really wanted because going back to last year um, they lost in Atlanta and, and were actually beaten beaten pretty bad. In fact. You know, um, Georgia State's only FBS win was against ULM last year, and that loss ended up being the difference between six and seven wins in a bowl game. So, you know, they feel pretty, they feel good about that, um, about that game when they're going to go play uh, Georgia, Georgia Southern down there in Statesboro. And do you remember from last year that was a game where um, that was a game that um, you kind of turned ULM season and helped them uh, get in position to get bowl eligible. Yeah, and there's no other way to put it. ULM absolutely whooped up on Georgia Southern. And for me, you know, I, I keep up with the other teams in the conference. Uh, you know, I read guys like you, uh, and so I, so I know what's going on, but I wasn't, uh, you know, I guess I was naive before that ULM game, and, uh, you know, it was evident from the start of that game that ULM was going to be able to do whatever it wanted on the offensive side of the ball, um, and that is a professional segue, Adam, into us talking about the ULM offense uh, this season, uh, it seems 
from the stat sheets, uh, who they're being led by. Uh, their quarterback, Caleb Evans, uh, seems to be having another really fantastic year in both aspects of his game, running and passing. Um, what, for you, has been uh, the key for ULM? I- I'm guessing it's been a successful offensive run so far, averaging um, you know almost 40 points a game. What, uh, what's gone right for the ULM offense um, so far this season? Well, you know, as good as Caleb Evans has been, and we'll get to him in a second, in my opinion, anyway, what, what's really take, gotten this offense over the hump is the emergence of Josh Johnson at tailback. Um, he, w- he was leading um, the Sun Belt in rushing for most of the season. He's second to Trey Bennett at Georgia State right now. But this was a kid they picked up late um, in, in August camp of 2018. He was supposed to sign with Ole Miss out of uh, junior college, and that didn't really uh, that didn't pan out. And they were able to get him and get him in camp on, for the second week. And, you know, he was still learning the playbook and wasn't really in shape last year so he, he didn't contribute very much but this year with a full uh off season everything he's hit the ground running and what he's been able to do is kind of um take some of that pressure off Caleb's shoulders because last year you know Caleb was you know prone to some bad decisions in the passing game trying to make some big plays that led to interceptions but you know they've got that running game to lean on and that's really you know allowed Caleb to pick his spots and not press and you know it's and it's helping me be even more productive when you look at it I mean He's some belt offensive player of the week this this week. He had 401 uh, total yards against Georgia State, and he's a he's a he's a threat running and throwing. And you know, in my opinion, probably a legit some belt um, offensive player of the year candidate. And you know, that was that was fun last week um, watching him and Dan Ellington at Georgia State go at it. It's a shame that uh, yeah Ellington was injured and won't, won't won't play this week against Appalachian State. But you know, th- that's been the two biggest things combined with an offensive line where you got four starters back and four of those guys are seniors. And the impressive thing is the numbers they're putting up really without a legitimate um, number one wideout. Because, you know, Marcus Green's drafted by the Falcons and R.J. Turner transfers to Texas Tech. So they really don't have anybody that can go up and get the ball other than their tight end, Josh Peterson, who's the son of uh, ULM alum and Philadelphia head coach, and Philadelphia Eagles head coach Doug Peterson. Yeah, and that, the wide receivers thing is kind of something I wanted to ask you about, Adam. Um, I did want to correct myself. 30 points a game, not 40 points a game. Still pretty good numbers, though, for ULM so far. Um, the, the receivers, uh, four guys that have uh, caught over 180 yards uh, and multiple touchdowns each, um, is there somebody that, and I guess you might have answered this by saying they don't have a number, a true number one. Uh, is there one guy that uh, ULM needs every game to have a great performance from the wideout unit, or is it kind of a bunch of guys that can, uh, you know, each one can take over or not take over a game, but each one can kind of do their own thing when the opportunity is presented? Um, in other words, Adam, which one of these guys uh, should Georgia Southern fans be keying on heading into this one? Well, the guy that's been uh, that's really stepped up for them recently is Marquise McCray. He's a senior that's been in the program a long time, and you know he's had his moments, but he, you know he didn't catch, catch a touchdown pass in his career until this season. And you know they they need to lean on him if some other guys were hurt. And you know he's a slot guy. He's capable of you know kind of stretching the field a little bit. He can do stuff stuff you know in the, in the, with reverses and in the fly sweep area but another receiver they're really hoping to get back this is Brandius Batiste he's been out for the past three games and you know he, he's a bigger bodied guy that can go get the football but he's been battling an ankle issue that just it, they just haven't been able to get right but he practiced tonight so they feel good about getting him back in the lineup but 
those are the big two. And then, you know, the other guys they have, they're all going to be good, you know, once they once they mature. But, I mean, you're talking about a group of redshirt freshmen and sophomores. I mean, guys like Malik Jackson and uh, Jaquan Bloomfield and Zach Jackson and Perry Carter, and they, they're, they're all going to be really good. But, you know, they just – when you're that young, you know, the, when you're learning on the fly, you're going you're gonna to have your moment, so to speak. Yeah, and then finally, on the offensive side, Adam, I asked um, ULM – here, I'll let you do it. How do you pronounce the ULM coach's last name? Matt Viator. Viator. Damn, I had that one right. I should have gone with it. Um, I, <laughs> you were good. I mean, that's one, that's one of those Louisiana names, trust me. It took, I'm from Tennessee. It took me a while to get used to all this, too. Okay, yeah, so yeah, you're you're familiar with the struggle then. Um, I asked him on Monday on the Sunbelt teleconference, for me, uh, and, you know, obviously I'll defer to much, much football smarter guys uh, like Coach Viador. Uh, you know, for me, when you're watching Troy just run up and down the field on Georgia Southern using that quick pace, I'd have to think ULM at least, um, in the back of its mind, has to think, well, there's you know there's the script, there's the recipe for running up the score on Georgia Southern. Do you anticipate? And I know they they use pace anyways. Do you anticipate uh, ULM kind of emphasizing that this week heading into the game, given what happened to Georgia Southern last week? I, I really don't. Um, and, and you know, um, Matt and I talked about it too, and he he kind of echoed the same thing he told you on the teleconference, but. Um, it's also one of those deals, too, when you look at it. I mean, it's interesting. I guess some of those numbers are skewed because ULM has played an overtime game and played a game with Memphis where you're going, you're going toe-to-toe. But Troy ran 73 plays against Georgia Southern. ULM averages 74 a game. So that's, you know, so it may not be the quick, up-tempo, you know, here we go, 100 miles an hour. But, I mean, they're going to they're gonna get theirs in. And the other thing you have to consider, too, it's not – you've got to kind of look not just at the offense but the total team aspect of managing a game. And we'll get to ULM's defensive struggles in a second, and that will help you understand why putting that unit on the field for another 10 to 15 snaps a game is probably not the best idea. Yeah, well, let's let's move right into it. Um, as good as the offense has been for them, they have been giving up um, lots of points. What, uh, what's been the problem on that side of the ball? Well, you know, it's one of those things based upon, you know, what the staff inherited when they got here um, prior to the 2016 season. They're still trying to get kind of their guys that fit what they're trying to do. I mean, they moved the defense from a 3 through 5 to a 4-2-5. And, you know, and they, they've got some pieces in place, but just not enough, particularly on the defensive, uh, defensive tackle where they just, just don't have a whole lot of size. And then the size they do have can't move like they want them to. So you're kind of stuck in a rut there. And the other thing is when you look at last year's team, uh, they, had, they were struggling on defense as well, but they picked it up on the latter half of the year, and that coincided when they got Jabari Johnson in the lineup at safety. You know, when, you, when you're playing a four-two-five, those three safeties have to be able to go and do, do about every, everything that you need them to do. And he was definitely that kid. But Jabari's been hurt since um, since August camp with a, with a foot stress fracture. He just finally got back on the field and played significant snaps last week at Georgia State. So when, when, when you when you working when you don't have when you're working with what you got and then you don't have all the bullets in the gun, so to speak, that that's how that's how you're going to have problems and. You know, it's 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 definitely been an issue. But when when you look at the defense, when they played well, it's when they're it's come with turnovers and negative plays. They have been very good at those. I mean, you got a guy like Corey Strader, who's probably the best corner in the league. He's, de- he's definitely playing playing like it. He leads the Sun Belt in interceptions. He's got five, and um, is up there nationally when you look at just the way stuff grades out in terms of passes defended and um, 
quarterback rating when throwing to him and things like that. So you, you've got some good pieces there, and you know, and even though they may not be the most sound at times, they can all run. So, you know, speed, speed can be, be a common denominator at some point. All right, Adam, let's put you on the spot now um, for Saturday's game. If you're bold enough, a prediction for the game. But at the very least, uh, how you see this one shaking out on Saturday um, in Statesboro between uh, ULM and Georgia Southern? Well, well, for one, Paulson Stadium is the toughest place to play as there is in the league. I think, I think everybody knows that. But at the same time, um, when ULM went there last year, Matt Viator's or not last year, but in 2016, in Matt Viator's first year, that team was not good at all. Mm-hmm. And then again, as as we learned, that was Tyson Helton's first year as well, and that team was also ended up being not very good. But ULM actually had a chance to steal that game with a roster that wasn't even close to the kind of talent that Georgia Southern had at the time. So you know that that that'll come into play. Some of these guys have been on this trip before, and I think the biggest thing. The biggest key will be like last year if ULM can get off to a good start. You know they were up they were up twenty to twenty to nothing in the first quarter last year, and it kind of just went downhill from there for Georgia Southern. But if um, but depending on how how the start goes, and if Georgia Southern can either get a lead, especially if they get a lead or just hang around close, then you know the entire playbook's open to them, and they can eat up that clock and you know control it, run the football, and that's where they're going to have problems. Um, as far as how Georgia, I'm curious to see how Georgia Southern attacks them too because. You know they're you know they've been getting the ball on the perimeter a lot, but if you've watched film of ULM, you can see that whether it be South Alabama or Memphis or Georgia State, everybody's hitting the ball inside on them. So I would expect uh, the dive to be a big component of the game plan. But I don't know. I just I just have a weird feeling about this one. I think it's I think it's going to be a great game. I think um, I'll, I'll go I'll go I'll go with um, I'll go ULM twenty seven to twenty four. 27-24. You heard it here first, guys. A guarantee from Adam. Hey, we'll see how it goes. All right, but hey, you want to let everyone know um, how they can follow you this week and, and read your stuff leading up to the game? Yeah, absolutely. You can uh, follow me. It's at Adam underscore Hunsucker on Twitter. That's H-U-N-S-U-C-K-E-R. We'll have some um, some stuff up later in the week about ULM trying to defend this thing, it's particularly what they're doing to try to get the scout team ready. And uh, all the stuff will be available at uh, thenewstar.com. Awesome, Adam. Well, hey, we appreciate you joining us. Um, and we'll see you Saturday in Statesboro. Sounds good. Oh, yeah. Adrian Peterson is taking care of things right now. The Wesley Fields. Touchdown. Georgia Southern. Pass swings. On the way. It's-